Hey, we're continuing in our series called Don't Miss Your Moment. Over the past few weeks, we've been leaning into the book of Acts, looking as this first century doctor named Luke records this eyewitness account on how the, how the church first began. And Luke has been showing that the church grew moment after moment. And in fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Luke records Jesus' words where he says this. He says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, church, in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so we see that that promise that Jesus made, that that's been happening as we've been going through this book. In fact, we see that the church is growing and people are being reached and the Holy Spirit is moving. In fact, can anybody remember, as Pastor Todd's been reviewing with us almost every single week, can anybody remember how many people were first in that initial room of the church when it first started? Anybody remember what that number was? 125, you get a prize this morning, okay? 125 people. And then Peter preaches his first sermon under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we see the church go from 125 to 3,000 people in just one day. One day, 3,000 people completely surrender their lives to Christ. And as we see the Holy Spirit moving and people being healed and people responding to see what God wants to do in their lives, we've seen that that promise that Jesus said that the gospel would spread and we would be his witnesses and the church would be his witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and that surrounding area. Because now we see that there's 20,000 people who have given their life to Christ and are now part of the church. And it almost seemed like there's nothing that can stop this movement of God. In fact, when God is doing something, no one can stop it. And we see that the church is reaching more people. The gospel is spreading all over. And it seemed like absolutely nothing can stop this train from heading down the track. But then Stephen. Last week, if you were here, we talked about um, Stephen and how he preached this bold message. And Clayton King was here and under the uh, influence of four cups of coffee and the Holy Spirit, he reminded us and preached about how Stephen preached this bold message telling this group of people who Jesus was. And he preached so boldly about the gospel and the good news. But then you would think that after that, the crowd will go wild. But they did go wild, but not in the way that you would expect. In fact, Scripture says in Acts chapter 7 that after Stephen preached this bold message that the people there start to plug their ears, they start to gnash their teeth, and then they became enraged. And they directed all that rage, all that anger towards Stephen, and they killed him. So what seemed like moment after moment of momentum had now turned to persecution. In fact, look what Luke records in Acts chapter 8 in verse 1. It says, on that day, which is on the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered, th scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Then godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now, before we get into our main content today, 
I just want to say to you in this introduction that Luke gives us, this introduction to chapter 8, he shows us that sometimes the boldness for Christ will not lead to a perfect life. In fact, it actually may lead to a persecuted life. And I just want to take a moment and say that if you gave your life to Christ under the pretense that once you gave your life to Jesus, it was always going to be perfect and sunshine and happy and clappy and healthy and wealthy all the time, I just want to say, I'm sorry that you were misled that way. In fact, here's the definition of persecution I think can help all of us. Persecution is this. It's the infliction of suffering, injury, or even death on another. See, persecution is when you're facing suffering of some kind, pain or even injury of some kind, or even death because you have a relationship with Jesus. In fact, if, if you're following Christ or maybe you're sitting here today and you haven't yet made the decision to follow Jesus, there may be some who decide that you don't want to follow Jesus. Once you understand that, when you give your life to him, it won't always be perfect. In fact, it always won't be, your life always won't be wealthy with fountains of cash overflowing in your life. You won't always be healthy with a six pack of abs, okay? Following Jesus doesn't equate to that. But following Jesus may bring persecution in your life and you may actually face challenges. In fact, there will be suffering. There will be pain. There may even be death for some who are followers of Christ. In fact, your best life may not be now. Your best life may not be until you go to be with Jesus. Now, the good news is because we live in the United States of America, we have all these incredible freedoms. So more than likely, if you're a follower of Christ, you're not going to be put to death because of your faith. But don't be surprised if you do face some type of persecution because you have a relationship with Jesus. Whether it's from our enemy or whether it's because of something happening in the culture around us, you will face persecution. And at minimum, none of us are immune to it. So don't be surprised by it. Now, as we go through this passage today in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see somebody who wanted the opposite of that. We're going to see a man who actually did want to follow Jesus because he did want the wealth. He did want the fame and the notoriety. He did want all the benefits that comes with knowing Jesus. That's all he wanted. He wanted the wealth and fame and followers, but he did not want the maker. In fact, we're going to take a look at this guy. We're going to see that he wanted to fill his life with only what he thought the Holy Spirit would give him. He was enamored with the gifts, but not with the giver of those gifts. He wanted his life filled with only what he wanted. You know, we are all trying to fill our lives with something. We're all trying to fill our lives with something. And maybe you're trying to fill your life right now with a good career. And you're trying to get to that next accomplishment, that next accolade, that next rung on the, lat the ladder. And you're trying to fill your life with a good career. And sometimes when we're trying to fill our life with something like that, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But we still have to question our motives. What are we trying to achieve and why are we trying to achieve it? Maybe for you, you're trying to fill your life with more relationships. You want more relationships, more friends, more followers, more hookups, more breakups, more dates. And again, sometimes even if you want to fill your life with relationships, that may not necessarily be a good thing. 
In fact, some of those things are good things that you want to pursue or fill your life with, especially if you want good relationships in your life. In fact, there's some of you who are listening today where you actually may need to pursue a breakup in a relationship. And maybe you're in a relationship right now, you know that relationship is taking you further and further away from your relationship with God. In fact, maybe even today before this message is over, you need to send a text to somebody and let them know that it's time for you to move on. In fact, I don't care. Use me as an excuse. Say to them, hey, Pastor Andrew told me it is time for us to head our separate directions. God wants to fill my life with something good and honey, you ain't it. So I'm going to pray for you, but see you later, okay? You can use me as an excuse. But sometimes we're even trying to fill our life with things that we never intended, but our life has been filled with certain things. And maybe for some of you right now, you don't even realize it, but your life is full of bitterness. There's been some sort of past hurt or pain that you can't find forgiveness in and you can't let go. And that past hurt or pain that you think is going to get back at the other person, that you think is going to somehow get retribution toward them is only hurting you. It's only hurting your relationships. It's filling your life with bitterness. Maybe for some you're filling your life with a secret sin, a sin that you've been hiding. And maybe you're not even the type of person who does pray, but you pray that no one will find out about this sin that you keep wrestling with, that you keep going toward, and it's filling your life with guilt and shame. And some of us fill our lives with sin. You know, I titled today's message, Full of It, because every single one of us, we are filling our lives with something. So what is your life full of? What is your life full of right now? I think sometimes we have to take a moment and we have to question the moment. We have to look and see what direction our life is heading. Because is it heading toward what it is that God wants for us? Or is it heading toward the very opposite? In fact, today in Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at two contrasting sets of lives. We're going to look at both groups that were trying to fill their lives with something. And we're going to look at these lives and see what it is that God wants to say to us as we pause and question the moment about where we're at right now in our lives. So I'm going to go through Acts chapter 8. Then I just want to ask you two questions to question where you are right now. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be reading lots and lots of verses today out of Acts chapter 8. So make sure you take your Bible out um, or your Bible app or you can even download the Mount app and be able to get it on there. But as we go through this, I want you to be able to circle some things and highlight some things as we go through this passage. And church, I just want to say as we go through all these verses today, man, I love God's Word. I really do believe that this book is not antiquated or outdated. I believe that God wants to use this book to fill your life and to continue to renew your life and reinvent your life so it can be filled with what it is that God wants to do in your life. So as we go through this today, would you even just pray real quick and just say, God, what is it that you want to say to me? God, what is it that you want to fill my life with? Well, let's read along here in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Those who had been scattered, so after Stephen is killed and persecution, a great persecution has hit the church, people have been scattered. So those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
You know, there's so many good things today inside this passage, and I really wish I had time just to stay here on this one verse. I wish I had time to tell you that no matter where it is that God plants you, that you need to preach the word with your life. I wish I had time to tell you that whether it's at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, on vacation, that you need to let your light so shine before people that they know that you are in love with Jesus. I wish I had time to tell you that when you decide to follow Christ, there should be a clear difference and you may actually be the only Bible that people read before they give their life to Christ. But I don't have time for that, okay? It only going to be about 30 minutes. So I'm going to, let's just keep going through this passage. So those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Simon boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed, hey, this man is rightly called the power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But then Peter answered, may your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gifts of God with money, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. As we pause right now and just take a moment to question the moment that we're in in our lives, the first question I want to ask you, church, is, is your life full of faith? Is your life full of faith? You know, we see in this story that Philip and the apostles, that their life was full of faith. Even in the face of Saul destroying the church, they were full of faith in Jesus. 
even with a great persecution breaking out, so much so that people were being thrown into prison from the church. They were being made homeless in the church. They were even being refugees as they were dispersed to other countries, or they were even being killed. In the light of all that, we see that the apostles and Philip and those who were passionate about following Jesus were full of faith. Man, this is the type of faith that when you are facing an impossible situation, you know that God is not going to abandon you. He's not going to let you go. It's the type of faith that even if you're sitting in a jail cell, you know that God can still be trusted. You know that he is not going to abandon you. You know that he is still for you. It's a type of faithfulness that was leading to a fruitfulness where an entire region was changed. In fact, it was so obvious that people took notice. They could not ignore what God was doing in the life of his followers. It's the type of faith that was producing reconciliation. The type of faith where people who were once enemies had now become friends. It was a type of faith where people who were once foes had now been forgiven. Look again at Acts chapter 8, verse 14. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not know this, but for most of their history, Jewish people and Samaritans hated each other. In fact, they were enemies against each other. They were also racist against each other. In fact, there was part of uh, the Jewish region that was up north. Samaria was kind of in the middle. Then underneath that, there was a southern region. And if a Jewish person wanted to go to the southern region, they would actually travel for days around Samaria because they hated Samaritans so much that they thought if they even crossed into their land that they would defile themselves. There was so much tension, so much animosity, so much racism between these two groups. In fact, Luke actually records another encounter where Jesus is trying to get to that southern region of Jerusalem. And he goes through Samaria because Jesus is all about breaking down barriers, producing reconciliation, and showing the world just how much he loves them. In fact, check out what Luke recorded back in his gospel in Luke chapter 9 and verse 52. It says, and he, talking about Jesus, Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get some things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome Jesus, mainly because he was Jewish. They did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So when the disciples, James and John, who we just read about, saw this, they asked Jesus this question. They said, Lord, because these Samaritans have treated you this way and rejected you and because we don't like them, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy every single one of these Samaritans? Now, before we continue on, I just want to know how many people who are sitting here or even watching online, how many of you guys, you were, you were that way at one point, okay? Maybe you were new to Jesus, uh, but then, you know, somebody did something wrong to you, and you weren't about grace, you are about God, you need to destroy them right now. How many of you guys were like that? Raise your hand up. Don't be ashamed, okay? I was there. I was there. And it was like, so they're, they're praying that God would destroy every single one of the Samaritans because there was so much animosity, so much hate, saying, you know what, God, we don't like any of them. God, kill them. God, get rid of every single one. But look at what happens again 
in Acts chapter 8. Look at the progression of people who are now full of faith in God. Look again at Acts chapter 8, verse 14. It says, when the apostles, these followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, heard that Samaria, this land where there's so much animosity between these two groups of people, when they heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, then said Peter and John, the same John who just a few chapters earlier was praying that God would wipe out every single one of them. This time it says when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit, that they might get the same promises that they've been given. They might get the same healing, the same gifts, the same confirmation, the same empowering that comes with knowing the Holy Spirit and surrendering your life to Jesus. They were now praying that all the promises of God would now go to the Samaritans. And there's something about seeing that God is filling your life with something. And there's many people in here, that's exactly what has happened to you. You've surrendered your life to Christ and you know, look, you, you may not be where you want to be, but you know you're certainly not where you used to be. And praise God, he's been filling your life with that love, that joy, that peace, that patience, that understanding, that transcends, that peace that transcends all understanding, that God's been filling your life with something different. He's been changing you. You can see the difference that he's made in your life. So again, I want to ask you the question, can you see that the Holy Spirit, can you see that Jesus has actually made a difference in your life? Can you see the progression? And hey, is it evident to anyone else besides you? Can other people see the change that Jesus is making in your life? What are you filling your life with? Is it full of faith? Second question I want to ask you today is, is kind of the opposite of that. Because if we're asking if our life is being full of faith and knowing Jesus and we're seeing the change that he's made in us and it's obvious to us and obvious to other people, the other side of that question is, is your life full of make-believe? We're all trying to fill our lives with something, but is your life full of make-believe? Are you trying to be something that you're not? Are you pretending to be someone that you're not? You know, my kids love to dress up and pretend all the time and uh, they love to play make-believe. In fact, here's a picture of them from the previous Halloween. And uh, my daughter was pretending to be some type of uh, fairy ballet princess or something like that. Um, and then one of my youngest sons, uh, Lucas here, um, we dress him up as a pirate. Which have you ever thought, why do parents dress their kids up as pirates? If you ever think about what a pirate actually did and how they did terrible things to people, you need to pray for parents who dress up their kids as pirates, okay? And then uh, my other son, uh, Noah, he dressed up as Batman and he would actually go long periods of time wearing this costume. He would go for days and days and days dressed up, pretending to be Batman. In fact, we still don't know if he ever used the bathroom while he was wearing this costume for days on end while he wore it. Now, when, when you're a kid, playing make-believe is cute. But when you grow up, make-believe might actually cause you to go to counseling. Playing make-believe may actually cause some serious consequences in your life. When you try to live a life, that's a lie. 
when you harbor secrets or pretend you're one way behind closed doors and then another way when you're out in public, when you're living a lie. And when you have a sin that you're just so in love with and you pretend like it's not really hurting anyone else. When you make believe that you are a follower of Jesus, but you're really not. Life isn't full of faith. It's full of make-believe. And the more you live that lie, the more you fake it, the more you're harming those around you, the more you're harming you. You know, in the middle of this story in Acts chapter 8 that is filled with faith of the apostles and Philip, we see this somewhat odd story of this guy named Simon the sorcerer. And Simon was filling his life with something like we're all filling our lives with. In fact, in verses 9 through 11, it talks about how Simon was practicing sorcery. Now, scholars kind of go back and forth and and, um, some say that he was literally practicing evil magic where he was being empowered by Satan and Satan was empowering him. Some say he was just this really great trickster who knew to do all these tricks and he did them so well that people thought he was either being empowered by God or that he himself was a God. But everyone agrees that Simon the sorcerer was a master deceiver. Everyone agrees that Simon the sorcerer was a liar. But people were amazed at this life of deceit. They were amazed at his tricks. They were amazed at his make-believe. But then Philip, this Jesus follower full of faith, comes and they see what God can do through a life that is completely surrendered to Christ. And then Peter and James come and they see what the Holy Spirit can do when you're walking with him and working with him. And through the apostles, all these miracles are happening. And look again what Simon the sorcerer does in verse 13. It says that Simon himself believed, okay, and was baptized. But then he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So Simon the sorcerer, this trickster, apparently makes some type of decision to follow Christ and even goes as far to get baptized. But look again what happens in verse 18. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me, okay, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered and said, hey, may your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart, Simon, your heart is not right before God. Peter said, look, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Simon, I can still see. I can still see that you're still living a life of make-believe. And I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. You know, at first this actually may seem like a pretty harsh put down that Peter gives. Uh, This person who seemed like they just made a new decision. I mean, he just started following Christ, just got baptized. And it seems like Peter kind of gives them this harsh rebuke. And you can think, well, doesn't God just want us to have have more grace? And doesn't he want to give us more patience? Shouldn't they have been more patient with Simon? And shouldn't they just try to say, hey, you um, you can have another chance after chance? 
And if you look all over scripture, that is the way that God is. He does want to give us more grace. He does want to give us forgiveness. He does want to keep on giving us chance after chance after chance. In fact, I've even seen that in my own life. But there's something else at work here. There's something else at work here. And Simon the sorcerer, I believe he knew deep down in his heart that he had not really made a decision to follow Christ. And I believe God under the, I mean, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, got this inspiration to see that Simon was indeed still full of hypocrisy. To see that he was still full of the bitterness that comes with pride. To see that his life was still full of make-believe. In fact, some people have said that Simon the sorcerer wasn't a believer, but instead he was a make-believer. He only got baptized and only said that he, was, that he believed because he was astonished at what Philip and the apostles were doing. He only wanted the gifts, but not the giver of those gifts. He wanted to keep on living a lie to get more money, more followers, more fame, more notoriety, more power. He only wanted what he wanted. And he wanted to keep on filling his life with make-believe. You know, I believe this somewhat odd story of Simon, this sorcerer or magician, is right here in the middle of this story that is full of faith. Because I believe that Luke recorded this story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remind some of us that sometimes we ourselves can even be misled and to even address the person who thinks they are a follower of Jesus. But just like Simon, deep down in your heart, you know that you are not. And maybe it's a person who's right here at Stafford today or you're watching online and maybe you came to church or tuned in because your boo thing is into this Jesus thing. And so you want this relationship thing to keep on working. But at the end of the day, you know that you're just pretending and you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's a person who got baptized and you saw someone else doing it, so you wanted to do it too. Or maybe your parents forced you to do it when you were younger and you did this thinking that baptism was going to somehow wash away your sin. Let me just tell you that baptism does not wash away your sin. In fact, that isn't even holy water that we use on Sunday mornings. In fact, it is Stafford County tap water that we use to fill our baptistry. There's nothing magical about it. Baptism really is an outward sign of what Jesus has already done on the inside. You know, maybe it's a person who say that, you know, they grew up in church and maybe they say, you know what, I've always been saved, but they can't remember the moment when they realize what John would actually record back in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says that Jesus is the way. Not baptism is the way. Not confirmation class is the way. Not because my parents went to church and took me with them is the way. But that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe it's a person who hasn't fully understood the gospel. And to understand that Jesus really did come here to this earth. And to understand that we all have this problem called sin. And sin is earning us something. In fact, it's earning us this death, this eternal separation from God. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And when we surrender our all to Jesus, we become fully alive in him. But are you living a life that's full of make-believe? 
Have you really surrendered your life to Christ? You know, I, I had my first dating relationship when I was 17 years old. And the girl that I was dating was a Christian and I was not. And I remember she wanted me to go to church with her. And I remember before that moment, I couldn't remember the last time I'd actually been to church or the last time I actually even thought about anything with Jesus. But she would invite me to church and I would go with her. I remember walking in that place and I would pretend like I loved it. I just remember thinking, man, this is so weird. Uh, you know, it was, it was kind of modern like Mount Ararat is. And I mean, they had the, the words up on the screen. I was like, man, these people are singing to these screens. Um, they're singing these weird words. Um, they're lifting their hands in church. Um, and then they weren't even dressed up or anything like that. And I remember I would try to pretend I was one of them. So I would try to lift my hands too and be like, oh, Jesus, I love you. You know, kind of raise my, I didn't know what to do. Like I felt so awkward in there, but I was living a life of make-believe. I remember after we had dated for about a month or two, she kind of had a come to Jesus conversation with me. And she said, look, are you really a follower of Jesus? Or are you at least thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus? And I had that conversation that maybe some of you have given, or maybe some of you have heard, where I said to her, how about you just keep believing what you believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. And then we'll just keep trying to have fun together. And then after that conversation, she proceeded to break up with me. <laughs> and she told me that she was going to go date Jesus for a season. I remember telling her, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. How are you going to date some dead guy from the Bible? But I can look back at it now and see that her calling me out and even breaking my heart would be something that God would use to show me that I cannot pretend to follow him. And even though I wanted this girl thing, God wanted to show me that I can't follow him and pretend to follow him to just simply get a girl thing or a good thing, that he wants me to understand this God thing and this incredible grace and forgiveness that he gives all of us. I remember there were times when I had prayed the prayer before, but I only did it when I wanted to get something from God. Where I didn't want to get another speeding ticket, or I didn't want to have it where I would get in trouble with my parents. Or there was something I really needed, I would pray the prayer. But it was in January of 2000 that I realized that I was indeed a sinner who was in need of a Savior. And I realized that Jesus really did love me. And I realized that I can't do it for anyone else. I can't pretend. I needed to surrender all to him. So I surrendered my life to Christ and I asked him to be Lord of all, to be fully alive, to have full faith in him. Not out of guilt or fear, not out of simply wanting something from God, but because I wanted all of him. So is that you today? I just want to ask you the question again. Is your life full of faith? Can you see the progression and the growth that God has done in your life? Again, you may not be where you want to be right now, but praise God you're not. And you can see the change that he's made in your life. Is your life full of faith? Or is it full of make-believe? Have you been pretending you're a follower of Jesus, but you know deep down inside your heart that you're not? I'm going to ask our worship team to go to make their way back out to the stage. And while they're doing that, I just want to read you this quote from this uh, pastor, author, theologian that I saw this week named Warren Wiersbe. And he said this. 
He said this episode found here in Acts chapter 8, this episode only shows us how close a person can come to salvation and still not be converted. Simon heard the gospel. He saw the miracles. He gave a profession of faith in Christ, and he was even baptized. But yet he was never born again. He was one of Satan's clever counterfeits. And had Peter not exposed what was happening in his heart, he would have deceived many, many more people. You know, the crazy thing is that Peter actually does extend that offer of grace again to Simon. He says to him, look, Simon, I can see that your heart still is full of bitterness. I can see that you've been pretending that you believed and you even got baptized, but nothing has changed in your heart. And maybe you only wanted to do that because you wanted this power that God has given us. You wanted to get maybe more money, more fame, and you just want to continue your old ways. You want to pretend like you were a follower of Jesus. But he says, look, you can still be forgiven. You can still get the hope that comes with knowing Jesus. And so Peter extends that offer of grace one more time to Simon the sorcerer. And look at his response in Acts chapter 8, verse 24. Simon says, he answered Peter and said, hey, you pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And at first you may think, hey, this is a great response, right? He wants them to pray for him. What Simon is really doing is saying, you know what? You keep believing what you believe. I'm going to keep believing what I believe. I want to continue to live this life of make-believe. And in his response, he still doesn't want to own his faith and surrender his life to Christ. He's saying, no, you go do your thing, and I'm going to do mine. Let me just say, church, that that does not have to be the case with you. Because even today, even if you've been faking it for years, even if you've been pretending you're a follower of Jesus, today God wants to extend that same offer of grace. He wants you to know that today your life can move from being full of make-believe to being full of faith. So why don't you go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And as we say so many times, this prayer is not something that is magical. But all we want to do is help you begin to confess what God's been doing in your heart from the beginning of this service. These words I'm going to lead you in, I want you to pray them either for the first time or for real this time. Don't let anyone around you stop you from surrendering your life to Christ. In fact, the person next to you may think that you've been saved for years. It doesn't matter. Today, Jesus wants to be Lord of all. So right where you are, if you're ready to give your life to Christ, would you pray this prayer? Would you say, Jesus, I'm tired of pretending. Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of all. And while everyone says their heads down, their eyes closed, in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold. I'm gonna to count to three. 
And once I count to three, I want you to send your hand straight up in the air. And I want you to do it if you don't care about who's around you. Because the day you want to declare that I'm no longer living a life full of make-believe, but a life full of faith and that Jesus is the Lord and leader of my life. So are you ready? One, two, three. Going to shoot that hand straight up in the air. And I want you to keep it up until our prayer team makes their way around to you. They're going to give you a gift to mark this moment that you say, my life is no longer full of make-believe, but it is full of faith in Jesus. Keep your hand up just for a moment as they make their way around. And Father God, I just want to thank you so much for what it is that you're doing in our church. God, I want to thank you that you show us how we can truly live this life to its fullest. And God, I really do believe that you're calling us to be a church that's not full of make-believe. I know sometimes, God, we can try to put on a mask and pretend like we're all these things, but I pray, God, that we would instead be full of faith, that we would be a people, that we would be a church that is full of faith in Jesus. And it is so evident that regions are being changed, that there's a difference being made in our household, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, even in our own lives, God. Would you do it? God, I just want to say that we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.